0: Hello and welcome to Contra. This episode's guest is Maximilian Wade. Maximilian is an energy medicine practitioner, and him and I discuss this controversial modality. Thanks for listening. Hi Maximilian, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. So uh, I'll just give a quick background to the listeners here. So um, Maximilian contacted me having... Uh, seen the podcast as uh, one based in Victoria, offered to extend a treatment session to me um, because I had, you know, he's a pretty brave guy. Um, You know, I was really respected that in you that I kind of opened with. I would absolutely be willing to do a podcast based on alternative medicine, but by nature, I'm pretty skeptical of these practices. So um, it impressed me that you didn't right away just say, all right, screw off, I only want to talk to a receptive audience, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I feel that when you're engaging in, in a form of work that speaks very particularly to a certain type of uh, group, however, a, a, another type of group um, would feel very critical about it or very skeptical, then it doesn't really serve the greater good to just continue focusing on the people that are Mm -hmm. like-minded, but also allow others to see the work that you do and potentially um, perceive it from a different perspective. Um, So for me, I reached out and I really appreciated that you were so honest and you told me right away that you're rather skeptical about the field that I'm working in. And, I just wanted to connect further to see if we can still find common ground and then have a, a very inspiring conversation about it where I might have some of my views changed or adjusted and the same might apply to you as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, it was interesting going for the, the treatment. Um, I'll say that, you know, how did it essentially go? We went and I got the bioenergenic Feedback. Um, I was a bit skeptical, um, and I think it remains so about the explanation for how the energy fields work. And mm-hmm. you know, after we maybe go over um, all the the experiences you know we shared in that session, we'll talk more about the technicalities of how that works and how it's worked with other people. Um, and we took a, a energy reading, which I mean, you can maybe describe that that process
1: how we how we yeah did that. absolutely. So. When you came in, I had you assessed using a bioresonance scanner. Um, The process of the scan itself takes about 10 seconds and all you're required to do is place either your right or your left hand on the scanner. The scanner will pick up all of the energy fields and energetic pathways in an organism. In your case, it was obviously the human organism. And we can then map out if there is any imbalances in particular energy fields or even distortions in particular energy pathways that run um, across the entire body. And those imbalances can oftentimes give us clues as to what is currently going on in the physical, emotional, and potentially even in the spiritual body. Mm-hmm. So what lies at the foundation of anything a person might be experiencing um, including chronic pain or some other form of chronic disease, including, um, an autoimmune condition.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, I'm probably not the best, uh, test patient for it just because I, I, right now I'm fairly healthy, um, at least physically anyway. Um, so we did, it gave a number of, uh, you know, I think it was like hundreds of different metrics for mm-hmm. um, emotional health, physical health, you know, liver function, kidneys, all these different uh, systems in the body. Um, so if I was more unhealthy and had a better knowledge of what systems in my body are at risk, it would have given me, I would have better been able to analyze the data and say, okay, um, I know that my liver is at, at risk because I, I drink a lot. So it makes sense that it's it's like a mm-hmm. top priority. Um, So in my case, I didn't really have a good experience to back up that. Mm -hmm. Um, The kind of like family history stuff um, that showed up is definitely it rang true to me. But my fear, of course, with these types of things is that it's like, you know, everybody has certain... Things to do with their past, their family, relationships that could be very generalized. And they're through hearing a general description of these problems, they're going to relate to a very personal situation. Um, what I will say through that process is that I absolutely got the sense that you've talked to a lot of people through some very traumatic experiences mm-hmm. and that you're a seasoned practitioner in that regard and you have a true care for your patients. So, so that was, you know something I appreciated in your practice. Yeah,
1: thank you. I, um, I'm happy that it came across. And for me, the emotional component is is very crucial. And it's it's a focal point of my work to make people realize that there is so much more than just their physical body. So even if I have people come in, such as yourself, who may not be experiencing any any physical discomfort in the form of chronic conditions, for instance... They can still benefit from the assessment in regards to what is their emotional landscape looking like at this point. And that can be very beneficial to broaden a, a person's perspective on what health actually is, because health is so much more than just our physical body that we're that we're living in. Um, emotional health, mental health, um they're both very powerful components of who we are and what actually stipulates a healthy individual so mm-hmm. it it's a very holistic approach to to maintaining well-being and for a lot of people to return to a a state of well-being
0: yeah and i, I absolutely agree with all that excuse me i think even like um more established medicine is moving in that direction i remember reading mm-hmm. a reading a study or hearing about a podcast where they'd measured somebody's people's depression just through like you know their own assessments of their their mental state and talking to psychologists and then they uh, measured their gut biome mm-hmm. and there was like a direct relationship between the health of their gut biome and yeah. their mental health um, and they weren't sure like is it the gut biome causing this mental health imbalance yeah. or is it the mental health causing the gut or is it just is it just a never-ending kind of chicken in the loop yeah. chicken chicken in the egg type loop yeah. Um, so yeah I agree with that um, and I actually really appreciate it the be- the beginning of, uh, of the session where you kind of had that big caveat that these treatments are not a replacement for conventional Western medicine you know you yeah, have to very seek, you know continue to seek that type of treatment and this is a supplement or something else um, I got the sense that a lot of people who'd be coming to your practice based on some of the preamble um, Are people that have exhausted all exhausted the the Western medicine? Mm -hmm. They have some sort of terminal illness that they just cannot get any resolution through, and then they come to you. Is that
1: yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, A lot of the clients that I'm seeing, they've had chronic conditions for up to thirty plus years. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's become the condition itself has become very much the the person um, themselves, and when a person undergoes a chronic pain or is suffering from a chronic condition for long periods of time, um, I can speak from personal experience, um, it really becomes part of the identity. Mm-hmm. And one thing that it, it does is it creates a lot of fear inside the person. And as you're going through the process of trying to heal yourself with everything and seeking out the help from everyone that you can think of oftentimes the longer you you try to exploit those resources that you have you will lose hope because you try yet another therapy session or a a new modality and you always bring up your hopes uh, whenever you try something new however when it then doesn't have the beneficial effect that you've been hoping for, that level of hope further diminishes to the point where at some point you you basically have no more hope.
0: Mm, it's almost like a negative placebo <clears throat> reaction. So exactly. even if they encounter a successful methodology, you think they come at it with such a state yeah. of despair. That- of course,
1: that can certainly happen too. Yeah. So then when people come to see me, a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them are at a point where their level of hope is is close to non-existent. And it's interesting because when I ask them what they've tried, it seems a lot of my clients have focused on the physical side of healing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not all of them, but, but a fair, fair amount. <clears throat> and... My work, as I said before, it's really focused on allowing people to see that they're so much more than just their physical body. And the beautiful thing about the, the, the bioresonance uh, assessment is, the bioenergetic assessment is, that it also assesses the emotional landscape of a person. So what emotions are out of balance? What um, trauma, sometimes dating back to a person's childhood, is also potentially involved in whatever they're experiencing on a physical level and what are some of the beliefs and belief systems that are no longer serving them and maybe even negatively serving them so when i create awareness in people that there is more aspects to to their overall health than just the physical body we are starting to spark a little bit of hope Mm -hmm. and this is this is probably one of the most rewarding aspects of the work that I do, because I can see how there is a little bit of hope sparked in a person again, and they go, well, you know what, maybe maybe I just need a different perspective of what health is, and how I can potentially approach my healing. Mm-hmm. So that's something that oftentimes, actually, quite frankly, that is something that resonates with pretty much every single person that walks through my door is they
0: basically they come in they've lost hope through through a number of successful treatments that have focused on the physical elements and you know i i agree with that there's a lot of physical problems that modern medicine just doesn't have a solution for Mm -hmm. and then you look to treat the emotional underpinnings of what they're going through and i've heard i mean something like fibromyalgia I've heard that I mean there's a lot of people that say it's made up, which I think is obviously a very narrow minded thing. Like if it's, you're it's feeling rather pain, harsh. Yeah. It's if you're harsh feeling pain, say. that pain is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whether it's all pain is in the mind. So yeah, you know, very, I, I think, yeah, very good point. Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah, if it's something like that, that science just doesn't really have an answer. They don't even know what it is. They're not even sure if it's something manifested from the body or from the mind to the body. Mm-hmm. Um I can definitely see how beneficial it would be to have um, that kind of treatment. I guess like where where my skepticism lies is the actual like bioenergetics portion. It's not so much the the talking through it as as we were mm-hmm. kind of talking through in your session there. Um, for me, whenever you're doing something that's like science based, the repeatability should be there, and which is why we did um, the second. I asked to do Mm -hmm. a second bioenergetics uh, assessment um, and then look at the results of that. So we created like a second patient profile and did that. And the results were like in a, there are some results that were similar, um, but most of the results were quite different. And I know you had an explanation for that being that the field of the receiver basically influenced my body's uh, field and created that distortion in the results, but I feel, and like, as I said there, I do feel like having an explanation like that for non-repeatability is like, it's a very convenient way to explain away a problem in the system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, it is important to note, however, that because the assessment is purely done on an energetic level, um, some of the, the scientific ways on we, uh, through which we try to assess whether something is actually scientifically provable or not, don't necessarily apply to energy itself. And this is an interesting topic to discuss because um, quantum physics is what my work is almost purely based on. Mm-hmm. And with quantum physics, the emergence of quantum physics has actually created a bit of a a turmoil in in the scientific field because there's there are certain things that we have believed to be true uh, in terms of science and how we we assess whether something is actually scientifically provable or not that now with the emergence of quantum physics we're no longer 100% sure if we can actually assess things that way and one of the examples is mm-hmm.
0: i don't know i <laughs> i think this like the scientific method in my mind is more of a tool to analyze um if something's working or if you're correct or not so mm-hmm. you have a hypothesis you say I think that this bioenergetic field is improving my well being. And then you can do that, run that experiment 100 times. And if 51 times out of 100 you're seeking positive results, then that is, you know, you don't actually have to, you know, wear a lab coat and, you know, go to university to do science. Yeah, it can be yeah. just totally, you know, backyard grassroots. Um, Absolutely.
1: Um, however, when we're dealing with energy, if you're looking at yourself, as an energetic body, you are in continuous exchange with your environment, because you're receiving and sending out information. Um, For instance, you're receiving a lot of information from your environment. So your nervous system can respond and decide whether you're in danger at this point, or if if everything is going okay. So there's a continuous exchange of energy and information between you and your environment. Now, is
0: this like representing something metaphysical or do you mean a a physical energy like electromagnetism or something that could be measured? um,
1: Biophotons. So you can actually measure um, using a very particular camera. If we took a photo of yourself, you would notice you could see on the on those photographs that you actually have a halo like glow around your your body. Um, and that is the biophotons that are given off your body. Um, it's also given off by any other living uh, creature out there, including plants. Mm-hmm. And that is you engaging with your environment at all times. So you're engaging on an energetic level that is not visible to the naked eye every moment of your life. What that means for the assessment is that when we assess you once and then we assess you within 30 minutes again, because you're in continuous exchange with your environment, that's why you've been seeing so many of your markers changing, except for two in particular um, that were identical in your case. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And those markers that are then remaining unchanged or just change a tiny little bit, those are the markers that we actually want to focus on because here we see a true and very established energetic imbalance that has probably established itself over the course of sometimes years, sometimes even decades. Mm-hmm. And that would explain why it is so reluctant to change from one scan to the next.
0: And if, but if, I guess you could extend this to if we did three
1: things, would those two remain? Most likely they would. And it's interesting you brought this up because at the end of your the, the session you had with me, you gave me an idea. You said, you know, it would be interesting to do multiple scans mm-hmm. and then plot it out. Yeah. So that is what I did today with oh, myself. Cool. I scanned myself five times today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember, um, after we'd assessed both of your scan results, yeah. I mentioned to you that... Um, it actually verifies what I already thought was happening, where anything that's emotionally out of balance is actually more deeply rooted than what a person might be experiencing energetically in the physical body. Mm-hmm. Which is why we saw for you, for instance, that family as an uh, as a trauma theme was showing up in both scans. Yeah. Now, when I did it. With myself today, I noticed too that on an emotional level, this is where I noticed things were remaining almost identical or just changed very subtly, whereas other things that were more so related to the physical body, and the physical body, as I said before, is in continuous energetic exchange with its environment, Mm -hmm. those were a lot more fluctuating from scan one all the way to scan number five.
0: So I guess, like to to go with that, I, I would have a couple of questions. So it mm-hmm. would be first one would be if these physical um, markers are so in flux, um, and especially because your practice is more faced on the like focused on the emotional, mm-hmm. why not just do the
1: emotional if if the physical ones are so unreliable? Very good point. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I do need to point out that they're not unreliable. Okay they play a very important role in the entire assessment because just because they fluctuate doesn't mean that they have no value to us. They can still tell us a lot about what is currently going on with a person and it, they actually allow a person to identify with the scan results in the first place. Now, I oftentimes have people that come and they don't really know much about the work that I do. hmm so they might be a little bit skeptical too yeah but probably a lot less skeptical <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so the first 2 to 3 um pages of the scan results are more so focused on the physical body and it is you can almost see it as an introduction for an individual that doesn't know much about their energetic body it is an introduction, it's a transition from allowing them to see themselves as the physical body that they've always known themselves as and then slowly moving towards the non-physical realm, the metaphysical realm. Mm-hmm. So here we then assess the emotional side, what traumas are potentially present, what belief systems are are out of balance or no longer serving the individual. Mm-hmm. So we're easing into it. And the the physical markers that show up, they still provide us with a lot of insights in terms of what is going on emotionally. But for an individual that already knows a fair bit about energy, you're absolutely right. We could leave out the physical side. And quite, quite honestly, sometimes I spend two to three minutes with those individuals and focusing on the physical and then immediately move to the emotional. Because I know these people, they came prepared, basically. So we can dive right into it and get to where we want to go. But when it comes to healing and when it comes to receiving information, we need to be willing, we need to be ready. And sometimes if I had people... If I took people right to the emotional screen, there might be a lot of reluctance or a lot of resistance towards it.
0: Mm-hmm. Or oh, it maybe makes sense. Like the reason they're set up one, two, three, four is not uh, arbitrary. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. So now that I want to kind of get into more of a debate in terms of the mechanics of the treatment, I've, mm-hmm. did a, I've done a little bit of research um, from on the skeptic side of people have a lot of explanations for the, you know, I forget, not bioresonance, but the, like, they'll take, it's a, they'll call it corona discharge. Um, So they take pictures of pennies, and there's that halo effect where it's giving off electrons. Um, Okay. But rather than getting into that, what I wanted to ask, I was curious, do you, do you think there's any possibility that, because somebody sold you, and I should actually open with that, somebody sold you the machine um, to detect all these fields, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And who's that? Uh, who's that body? Like, who makes up the network of practitioners, yeah. or that is like overseeing this?
1: Yeah. So um, it's an institution called NES Health, NES Health, and they were founded about twenty years ago in in England, and moved in the last couple of years their office to Tampa, Florida. Okay. And the research that was conducted was actually conducted. Um, several decades before the the institution was was established, and the research was conducted by a professor f- from Australia, who was uh, a practitioner practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine, and he became very interested in the in everything having a frequency. Mm-hmm. Um based on the knowledge that everything is energy and everything releases energy or exchanges energy, as we said, you know, between you and the environment, for instance, but so do all plants, so do all animals, for instance. So he became so interested in everything in the universe having a frequency that he started mapping those those frequencies out. So he first started with establishing what are the frequencies for the different organs in the body, the organelle, the different systems, such as the immune system, down to basically every single cell in the body.
0: And when you say the frequencies, you mean the
1: frequency at which the molecular structures vibrate? Exactly. The vibrational patterns of of any structure, basically. He then continued his research... And started focusing on the non-physical. Which, when we think about... Actually, when we think, every thought that we think is energy. Hence, every thought has a frequency, a vibrational pattern. So do all of the emotions that we experience. Emotional trauma is a collection of so if emotions.
0: So if you have emotional trauma mm-hmm. that... Somehow that will result in a physical vibration that will oscillate and be received through your hand
1: to the scanner. Not through your hand. Um, the hand the fact that the hand is on the scanner is more so just that you have a physical connection with with the scanner itself, but what the scanner does is it actually assesses your entire body field, which is a collection of all of your energy fields. And that is not done purely through the hand. It is actually done by the scanner creating its own energy field, which interacts with your energy field. Okay,
0: right. You did say that.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um, so back to the professor, what he then did, he mapped out the frequencies for... All of the the major emotions that we experience as human beings, and the most dominant trauma themes. And how is he? How is he mapping
0: this out? Is he is he at a university or is he? Um...
1: I believe he was at a university in in Australia. Um, I wouldn't be able to to tell you so the he name has, of the university. So he has like some sort of equipment
0: that's similar to what you have, probably more at a prototype scale.
1: Definitely more of a prototype scale, and probably. A potentially even more more sensitive or just requiring more apparatuses okay. at that point, because you know we we would have to go back a couple of decades where he actually was right in the midst of of this research so he would
0: have multiple people come in, some people depressed and some people anxious, some people with family issues that are
1: presenting, and then measure their energy field and try to plot that against what. Um, exactly, and not just some people, it would have been I, I can only assume, but it would probably be in the thousands because mm-hmm. the research was done over such a long stretch of time.
0: So what's like what's most interesting to me about this background and then the fact that there's equipment being sold that mm-hmm. has all these measurements is that you know, not a lot of things in the world are black and white, right? Often there's like, you know, if you look at a corporation that's uh, done something nefarious, like not cleaned up their oil spill, mm-hmm. it's like who can you actually pin that on? There's a bunch of people that just kind of say we were just doing our jobs, we're just trying to stay accountable to shareholders. The shareholders were just asking for more profit. Like everybody, there's this dissolution of responsibility. Right? It's not black and white. It's gray. Everybody's mm-hmm. just trying to be a human being, and you know, not everybody. But in in this case, it is very black and white. It's either there's this heroic man who's gone against modern, you know, the medical system, used his knowledge of quantum physics, which only a few people in the world understand. Like there is a there's a handful of people in the entire world that can even talk about quantum physics. Yeah. It's it's very <laughs> small. It's extremely complicated, like mm-hmm. um and hard to even conceptually grasp. So he's used his knowledge of that plus his practice in in medicine and created and sold this system Um, that measures these fields, or he's has these systems which randomly generate data and spit it out. And then somebody like yourself, who's a caring practitioner, believes that this is really analyzing the patient and then works with the patient to interpret these results. And I'm sure like, you know, if, if, if you're a programmer and you're smart, when you have um, the emotional trauma one, you're going to have, of course, program it such that there's one or two key regions which consistently light up for people. Like maybe family will light up every third time or every second time. And then, you know, spouse pr- problems like will or, you know, whatever it may be, these will be consistent hits that everybody will experience. And if I was programming it for nefarious reasons, I would, of course, build that in. I wouldn't have it completely random because I would want to give the practitioner, who maybe is unknowing, the ability to work with the patient and uncover some trauma. And if that's the case, that guy's a pretty awful dude, in my opinion. Right. (laughs) And like it's, it seems to me, there's nothing, there's nothing in the system as far as the assessment part that leads me to say, like, okay, this is obviously 100% true. Like it's, I'm not saying it's not true because I don't know enough about it. Um, but I'm saying there's nothing about it that I've experienced that say, like, this is, this is obviously reading something in depth about my personal history and it's unmistakably accurate. Um, And that's kind of the question I want to ask you is, do you think it's possible like with a one, one in one million chance that
1: it's not real? Well, I think that would apply to everything in life for sure. Um, So it would have the same likelihood as, as, Basically everything else that you're exposed <laughs> okay. to in life.
0: You're right. You're right. Let me make it more uh narrow the question. So, like an MRI, when you go, or an X-ray. When I go to get an X-ray, if no, if the doctor never showed me the X-ray and he just said, "Oh well, it's, your bone is broken and we've got to do this," and then my bone healed, I still don't know for sure if the X-ray worked. But when he shows me the picture of the X-ray and I can see my bone broken and it matches up with my arm, I have a high degree of certainty that that machine that I put my arm into gave like a real result because it's just so verifiable. And if I go back for a hundred X-rays on that same arm, it's gonna be a hundred times the same result, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. So I shouldn't have said one in a million. I mean, do you think there's like a reasonable chance that like one in a hundred is reasonable that it's that there's some manipulation of that data that it's not a true
1: energy reading. Well, because I haven't done the research myself, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't spend 40 years mapping out all of the frequencies. There yeah. is that, that chance, of course. But again, yeah. if you approach it with, with such skepticism, there is a lot of other things that you would have to question in your life that we might just plainly take for granted. Mm-hmm. Now...
0: But I think that's a good approach i I actually question a lot of things. I think I question a lot of things in my life, and I think that's appropriate you know um, mm-hmm. and I think people now with the internet, for example, they're questioning a lot of things like people question like who am I voting for? like what are they doing? what you know whereas before, I think it was much more taken at face value that you know once a year the president would sit down for a fireside chat with the television and you'd hear his thoughts whereas now when he's tweeting you know the real the like i'm talking about trump like the you know the curtain has kind of gone up and you're getting a real view into this guy's mind Mm -hmm. um and i mean this is a he's a particularly disturbed individual but um i think if you got into the minds of a lot of presidents in the past and their daily thoughts i think it would be different than it's been people are kind of more open to questioning things and seeing other human beings as as just other human beings rather than royalty and different.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for me, when it comes to skepticism, or you know, actually, when it comes to asking questions and questioning things, mm-hmm. I think we should all do that. Um, you know, the, I read a quote by the Dalai Lama once that really resonated with me. Um, he encouraged everyone to question everything in life, including mm-hmm. what he said. Um, now, I like that, but I personally believe it should come from a place of curiosity rather than a place of fear or worry that this is something that might shake up the world in, in a way that you don't want it to be shaken up. I agree with that for sure. And again, when it comes to energy, we we know very little about energy and the energetic body and how energy actually moves and behaves in in everything i would so i would agree with that
0: i would totally agree with that and to that point i would say that i feel like this guy that has invented this and done all this research on his own probably also knows very little about it knows probably a whole lot more than me but the to do a nine second analysis and get 150 different readings. It's uh, it's just a lot for me to accept that it has gone you know without papers published and without you know a legion of scientists and doctors and medical professionals. And I, I think my fear is not so much that it's going to change the world. My fear is more that both like practitioners and people that are desperate for for medical help um, are going to seek this treatment and not other treatments now i know like that's one of the things that i i was i took so positively out of yours is that you had that um and i'm not sure if that's dictated by nes or you know just your personal thing to say like you know don't stop taking your chemotherapy Mm -hmm. medication um when you're coming to my treatment like you know or, or whatever it might be yeah um but that's i guess my concern is that there's somebody that is profiteering off um off of a pseudoscience um when those resources both practitioners and the the money of the patients could be put towards better use.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I as I said before, I I do understand where you are coming from. Um however, the way I see it is and I said this, you know, 2 minutes ago, mm-hmm. we know very little at this point about energy and, when you say and how we, we can it's like basically the the West okay. because we have to admit that in the West we we are very unfamiliar when it comes to us being uh, organisms of energy utilizing energy being made up of energy when we go and, and you're talking look,
0: about energy now more in the spiritual sense
1: no actually in for me energy is it is not... It is not something that can actually be classified as spiritual or physical Mm -hmm. because energy underlies everything in this universe. So it becomes the foundation for every concept that we have thought of and labeled as human beings. Okay. Now, when we look at cultures in Asia, for instance – china with traditional chinese medicine and india with their ayurvedic uh, medical system these cultures have been aware of the human body being a, an organism made up of energy for literally thousands of years we can go to india and we can look at sacred texts that rain that go back Three, four, even five thousand years, and they talk
0: the chakras, and
1: exactly they talk about the chakras in China and other Asian countries. They talk about the meridian system, which is a system of energetic pathways that run through the body, and it's it's really interesting because. So, is this what? What's the researcher's name again that uh, came up with this system?
0: With Uh, this, the system. Sorry, the. uh, the system that the NES system,
1: um, He's there is a processor. So, so there is Peter Fraser, yeah, and he teamed up with um, an entrepreneur, Harry Massey.
0: Okay, so these is this basically these chakras the meridians. Is this what the system is is basically identifying?
1: Is that the idea? It is part of what the what the system is also identifying. Exactly. Okay. So the chakra system and the meridian system, they're two concepts to systems that are actually in the system, uh, in the NES health system, uh, along with um, a lot of other uh, elements, as you've seen.
0: And uh, maybe you don't, maybe you don't know the answer to this, but how are those, how are those uh, energy systems discovered by the Chinese and the Indians?
1: Yeah, so that's a very good question. And I think that's even a question that historians and t- scientists are still trying to determine how they were so a- how they were able to so accurately pinpoint these meridians and actually map them out on on the body
0: does does conventional and, do conventional use me scientists believe that the meridians and chakras represent
1: something real and physical actually they've they've proven it so we can now measure subtle energies so what scientists have done they this have,
0: is outside the NES health system this oh yeah is like, yeah, this yeah, is,
1: yeah this is this um, is I wouldn't be able to tell you who who did this research but I'm sure but that it actually is coming out labs. of several yeah. different camps so what they have done is they wanted to see how accurate and how on the money were the Chinese and people from India when well. they determined those the, the chakra system and the Meridian system. And it turns out they were spot on. And I it's guess I, something I don't
0: actually know enough, of, and I am assuming listeners won't either. Enough about the chakras to I don't actually know. The most I know about chakras is that they're called chakras, mm-hmm. I, and it's, I just know it's something people who do yoga talk about. But yeah, if like, and I imagine probably half the audience is kind of of that same camp. Um, so, like, what do they suggest that has been proven by science? Or
1: so the chakra, the the concept of the chakras suggests that we have seven energy centers that go from the pelvis all the way up to the crown of our head okay so they're in line with our spine and they basically act as energetic vortexes where we we store a lot of energy that we receive from the environment And these these energies are stored in different cavities of the body. Um, For instance, the lower abdomen, um, it is a cavity, such as our skull, it is a cavity as well. Now, interestingly, we would look at it and go, well, a cavity, isn't that supposed to be hollow? Because energy tends to gather in hollow places. Now, then one could argue, well, the skull contains the brain and so much other things that take take place. And the abdomen contains all of our digestive organs. So how is it possible that we actually have energy gathering there? And this is where we really need to adjust our way of thinking because energy, it is non physical in a way, so when it gathers, it can gather in these places where we think these places are filled with organs, but energy can still gather there because energy is not necessarily bound to the physical realm. so the chakra system is basically a system of seven energy centers. the meridians, I'm assuming if your listeners are not too familiar with the chakras, then I think it would be yeah, worth talking about the meridians, yeah. The meridians are base- is basically an infrastructure that allows energy to travel from A to B in the body Okay. so that every cell in the body has the energy when it needs it to perform life-sustaining tasks in the body. Okay,
0: so that so, energy is
1: taken in from external exactly. and then redistributed through the meridian system. Exactly, and it is stored as energy fields within those cavities. So we in the have chakra system. For instance in the chakra system. But in the Chinese
0: system, they didn't have the word chakra but they had another way that They had another
1: about- way exactly. Yeah. They call them dantians. Okay. And the two together allow us to see how energy is stored and how energy is transported throughout the body. Okay. And when scientists, thanks to quantum physics, created uh, very sensitive devices that, that can pick up subtle energies. And when I, when I say subtle energies, those are energies that um, you can't necessarily feel. And when they started to assess, to see if the Chinese were right about their meridian systems and if people in India were were correct about the chakra system, they were pretty blown away to find that they were right on the money. And when you look at a map of your meridians...
0: So I guess that, that
1: assumes that
0: they're... So first of all, the scientists were able to find some previously unknown type of energy, or Mm -hmm. known to the ancient Chinese and Indians, they were able to say, here's how it's represented um, with some sort of vibration or oscillation or wave Mm -hmm. that we're able to detect with our hypersensitive equipment. Yeah. And here is now where it's focused, and we can, using our knowledge of fields and measurements, we can see how it's traveling through the body, and it happens to adhere to these pathways and stored in these locations. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, if you have like, if not now, but if you have, uh, you know, links to those publications and articles, I'd love to like include them in this, the description of this episode and people can check them. Yeah, out. Yeah, I
1: think going on to Google Scholar um, and just typing in Chinese meridians or the chakra system, um, another great resource would be Quantum University um, based out of Hawaii. Where a lot of this um, is currently taught in at university, um, so you can actually do your doctors in quantum physics-based um, fields now.
0: Okay, and the
1: like—is it a doctorate of physics or? Um, it, it's a doc. It's a doctorate in medicine. In medicine, quantum mm-hmm. integrative medicine. medicine. Okay. Yeah. Is that associated with NES or is that a completely no, separate? No, that's body? completely separate. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. That, that would be a great that. resource because they actually put out a lot of videos um, and lectures for free so people can can get a taste for it and then decide if obviously they want to enroll in, in any of the courses. Um, but that would be a great resource along with Google Scholar is something that I I really like to, to utilize as well.
0: Okay. Yeah, is, that's just a, a resource for finding and storing publications. I haven't actually used Google yeah, Scholar. Yeah, for
1: scientific uh, si- um, papers, exactly. Okay. Um, I used to use it in, in uh, university a lot. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, if you want to read scientific papers on a particular topic that you're really interested in, Rather than just doing your generic Google search and potentially receiving some very questionable material, mm-hmm. it's better to go through Google Scholar and actually receive the articles that were published in well-known um, scientific magazines.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, is there a subscription for that? Or like, I guess you probably have to buy the articles if you come across It them.
1: depends. I've come across a lot of articles that are actually for free. Um, others might just feature an abstract, but even just a, a one page abstract can al- already give you a good idea of what the, the study, for instance, was about and what yeah. was found. Yeah. In my research at work, I often just use the abstract because it'll give you,
0: you know, if you're just looking for an idea and you don't need all the Quantitative data, yeah, Um, it'll give you the give you enough information. Oh, absolutely.
1: Sometimes it can be a bit of a drag to go through the entire article. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. As I
0: mean, that's actually one of the biggest problems in our society, right? Everybody wants to read the Facebook headline, the article, like the the headline that's posted on Facebook, but they don't actually read the article. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah. absolutely. We're we're getting lazy, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's
1: getting too convenient. Although I don't even know if
0: it's if it's the same. Laziness, I think it's actually just our attention span is decreasing because somebody who spends three hours on Facebook reading headlines, that's not, in theory, it's not any less work than somebody reading a three-hour medical journal on their phone. Yeah, that's a good point. Their brain is, I think if you looked at, you know, certain, probably different areas of their brain would be lit up. Certain reward centers would be lit up, Mm -hmm. whereas the other person, it would be, you know, yeah, their brain would look different, their image of their brain. But it's the same amount of work in that. Your physical work, right? Mental work, I think it's different.
1: Um, Yeah, absolutely. It becomes a question, what is the motivation behind it? Mm -hmm. You know, are you just, as you said, with Facebook, instant gratification is something that we continuously seek, especially through social media. Mm -hmm. And that is certainly not something that you can necessarily expect by reading a scientific article on quantum physics. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I mean, sometimes like I've really tried to drop Facebook is the only social media platform I really have. Um, and it's really useful, but I'll oftentimes I'll find myself like if I'm bored for 30 seconds, I'll just like bring up my phone, like scroll through it. Cause mm-hmm. that's exactly what it's made for is to like draw yeah. you in, but it's such a waste of that 30 seconds or two minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it turns into. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it, it's not like, it's not like I have that five minute break from life and feel rejuvenated afterwards mm-hmm. it's if anything you feel like i don't feel bad like i'm not but it's it's not good it's just it's very
1: neutral it's not a, it's yeah. not a positive experience i wouldn't say absolutely. that absolutely anyway. i yeah. think it is time that we could spend differently um, especially by focusing on any activity that would engage us in being more mindful mm-hmm and as you said, if you have 30, 30 seconds to spare and you might just find yourself reaching for the phone and just scrolling through through the the news feed, that might be a very mindless task.
0: Yeah, I have a, one of my close friends. He says he does that anytime he's on the elevator. Anytime he has a second to spare, he'll be on his phone. He reads every night until he falls asleep. It's mm-hmm. because he's... Trying to distract himself from his own impending doom. But he's aware of that. Like he just thinks like life is so futile mm-hmm. and he needs to keep distracted from it because he has a family and he wants to continue to support them. Yeah. But he just like the idea of reality and everything ending and everybody dying is just too much. Too depressing to yeah. face. You know, so he purposely just keeps himself continually distracted.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. interesting that you mentioned that because I have a few clients that have that tendency. Mm-hmm. And in today's world, I think that is actually a fairly common tendency, tendency where we try to be distracted um, to the point that we no, longer have to, we no longer have to pay attention to the demons in our, in our basement because mm-hmm. those only come to haunt us when we actually give them the time and the space. So our, our strategy then becomes, just like you described, just don't give them the time or the space. And energetically speaking, this is very interesting because when there is something that we're trying to avoid, for instance, the topic of that everything will come to an end, that we will die eventually. And if it is a topic that is very hard to accept for a person, so they choose to keep it at bay by always distracting themselves. Energetically, we we push this, this energy down. And this energy is, it's got a, a low frequency. Some people actually describe it as heavy or dark. <clears throat> and over time, the more often we press this, we, we suppress this energy. And there might even be more that we suppress, so it accumulates. And these accumulations eventually can actually manifest themselves into something physical. And you mentioned earlier um, that y- you read um, articles on how our emotional state can affect our microbiome, for instance. Mm-hmm. It is in part because of these, of this low-frequency energy that something, an organ or an entire area in our body can be affected by something that we don't even perceive to be physical. Mm-hmm. So when we come to realize this, we actually need to take responsibility not just for our actions but also for our thoughts, for our emotions – And one of the biggest things that I always teach my clients is every emotion that we experience, we experience for a reason. You know, we weren't put on this earth only to be experiencing positive emotions. Mm -hmm. Life has taught us one thing, and that is that not everything is just positive. Sure. So it becomes our responsibility to ensure that when we experience emotions that are not positive, that we still allow us to go through those emotions and not just suppress them. Mm. I actually the heard a psychologist
0: talking about this kind of same concept. yeah. It's like the... The field of psychology and putting labels, because you know some people are extremely depressed and some people are overwhelmingly anxious. But having these labels become so commonplace has not been good for the average person, because people who tend to skew a little bit more depressed, people who tend to skew a little bit more anxious, like these are just normal things. Like there's Mm -hmm. only like five basic emotions you can have, and four of them are negative. You know, (laughs) like you know, so and then people who are a little bit skew, a bit anxious they're told that you have anxiety and now they're anxious about the fact that they're anxious about things and it's just a compounding cycle. Absolutely. Um, Whereas, you know, sometimes rather than trying to find out ways to, to not deal with that, it's like, maybe you should just accept that you have a lot of shit going on and you're going to be a bit worried about it. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, But you've just got to deal with it and that's okay. And you're going to oscillate between five basic emotions. I forget exactly. I think it was anxiety, depression, happiness, happiness, fear and like there was but there was you know yeah five basic things and all of them like the color palette like how there's Mm -hmm. three colors and everything is kind of made up of those yeah absolutely yeah
1: absolutely and you actually used a very very powerful word acceptance Mm -hmm. that is something that i believe in in our society is is very much undervalued we need to accept more than we are actually at this point willing to accept for instance if you want a happy life it's it's very it's very difficult to truly live a happy life if you cannot accept the fact that one day you no longer will be yeah and this acceptance applies to really everything in life in and not just death every emotion that you experience
0: yeah that it's all fleeting
1: i've heard it's uh, all fleeting yes. i
0: really like this guy jordan peterson i've talked about him before um on the podcast but one of his things is that your aim in life should not be happiness if you get happiness that's great um but it should be meaning mm-hmm. because meaningfulness uh leaving a meaningful life that like that stays with you regardless of how your life turns if you're constantly aiming towards meaning because happiness can be taken away from you by external factors right if you're Child gets sick, and your wife becomes mentally ill. It's like there's probably not much happiness for you. Like it's probably not likely that you're going to spend the weekend at the beach hanging out with your friends when you have a, a child dying of cancer at home. Yeah. So, whereas if you've oriented yourself towards meaning, you can still have a meaningful life while taking care of that child and providing for them the best existence they can. Absolutely, it's this kind of acceptance is something I've reflected upon recently, and I do whenever I get sick. I am pretty lucky in that I'm healthy, but Right now I'm just getting over a cold, not a particularly bad cold at all, but over the last three or four days, I've been a bit under the weather and, you know, just especially maybe two days ago was the worst of it. I have low energy, headache, sore throat, just the kind of basic sick. And I'm thinking to myself like, oh, this sucks. But, you know, eventually I'm going to get sick and then I'm going to get sicker and then sicker and sicker. And then I'm going to die <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like You know, that's inevitable. And, you know, some people, some people would love that, that, the, how I felt two days ago, they would love to be like that. That would be the best they've ever felt in their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you gotta be grateful when you have these kinds of thoughts, at least for the the temporary. I mean, there's two ways to think about it. There could be the path of nihilism and thinking that, well, it's all, it's all I'm mean, gonna get sicker and sicker and die eventually anyway, or there's you can embrace the moment um, yeah I'd like to think I have maybe ninety percent embrace the moment, ten percent
1: like holy shit, but that's very yeah. good. I think that's probably way above the average <laughs> that's a I never trust a self-diagnosis but <laughs> 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 it's it's also interesting to note that when we are experiencing anything. And this is actually something that the listeners can, can test themselves. If you're experiencing anything, and let's assume you're experiencing something that is uncomfortable or negative in your eyes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: pay close attention to how much thinking and how much judgment is actually involved coming from you when you perceive something to be just unbearable or just not comforting or just plain negative negative. and then try to just be with the sensations that occur rather than continuing to think about it and judge it even more that oh this is you know for instance a headache mm-hmm. this is a headache right now it hurts it hurts on my right it's slowly moving to my left you know there is a lot of labels there is a lot of identifying with this yeah, there's a lot of mental work going on. But if we just as a, as a trial, if we instead go more so into the body and we just try to feel the sensations of a headache as an, just as an example. And we pay no attention to our mind, our thinking so that our mind can no longer judge it, analyze it, label it in a way that will just make it worse there might be a shift that people will notice. So you focus, you're focusing your attention on the symptoms, even if they're On negative. the sensations. Yeah. On the, the bodily sensations as they occur without trying to cognize what is actually occurring. So you're not actually using your mind anymore. You're just using your body and the five senses that you were given to be with what you're literally feeling. Mm-hmm. And that alone can, it's almost like you're shifting the perspective towards something. And you can apply this not just to to physical pain, such as a headache, but also if you're experiencing anger. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if there is a situation where you feel angry, there will be some involvement with with your mind. Your mind will go, this is anger. Um, this is exactly why I'm angry. And you might even be analyzing the situation. And sometimes that that might actually just make things worse. I think it would take a lot of... I think a lot of people get very (laughs) angry and aren't aware that they're angry. Now, with anger, there's a lot of physical sensations. And these Mm. sensations, a lot of them are very subtle. But there's a lot of them. So if we just for a couple of minutes in those situations... Move out of our heads, mm-hmm. and no longer try to rationalize it or think about it. But we are literally just feeling what is occurring when we are angry, because most the of us sensations. the physical sensations that come with it, and really try to pay no attention to the thinking mind and what mm. it actually wants so to. If you're angry analyze. because.
0: You know, your boss couldn't tell you. Told you you can't have Friday off, even though he promised it, or something Mm -hmm. like that. And you're thinking about this motherfucker, exactly. Rather than thinking about that, just pay attention to how
1: your body's responding to this, Mm -hmm. how it feels, how it feels, and the mind for once doesn't need to be involved. And just think about it. Just think about in retrospect, maybe. And think about some past experiences where you were angry or where you felt something else that is negative, Mm -hmm. some other emotion that was negative. Fear or anxiety. Exactly. And then then just briefly think about, was I completely in my head or did I actually notice how I felt? And I think a lot of people will, will come to realize that most of the time they're really in their head. They're, they're doing a lot of thinking about whatever they're they're angry about, for instance. So why don't we just change it up? You know, why don't we just flip it and just try the other approach? Just, you know, f- for most people, it might just be once. Other people might notice, hey, this is actually pretty good. This is just a, a, a fresh look, a, a perspective change. Mm-hmm. Because there is nothing, there's literally nothing to lose when you just try it once or twice, yeah. I mean, so how do most people react to that? <clears throat> That's a very good question because I actually recommend that to a lot of the clients that I see,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and a lot of them come back and tell me, "Wow, this is probably one of the most empowering thing that I've that I've come across in in recent time." Because when we spend less time analyzing, labeling, and cognizing things that are occurring in us and we are actually just present with the sensations that occur, we can, we can no longer make it worse because Mm. the only time we make, for instance, anger worse is when we think about it. You know, you can look at it as a fire. So if the fire is burning, you can either just let it burn and then it stops eventually, or you start thinking about it and that's basically like throwing some more logs into the fire or in certain instances it's gasoline.
0: Yeah that's kind of like the idea that so the human brain is essentially a hyper-powerful computer that can run simulations. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you know rather than learning that fire burns you by jumping into the fire and getting burned you can you know feel the heat and then run a simulation saying well the closer i move to the heat the hotter and hotter it gets so if i was right in that fire you can you can simulate yourself putting your hand in and then not do it because mm-hmm. virtually you've done it yeah. or you know you're jumping off higher and higher rock faces and you get to a you know 10 12 feet and then you see a 201 you can simulate what would happen jumping off of it so you don't do it so that's kind of what fear is you you run You have certain something that's you know come up come up in your so you can't take friday off and then you simulate well what happens if this person has total control of my life and tells me i can't have anything off and you just go off on this Mm -hmm. you know and now all of a sudden you're feeling angry and worried and anxious about something that doesn't actually exist it's only exactly been simulated in your mind yes because then like an animal like a fox it doesn't have that same emotion it doesn't is not sitting after it runs away from a bear I, I imagine it just kind of goes about its day, right? Like it's—it's mm-hmm. it's not like doesn't have PTSD. It doesn't, you know, constantly think where are the bears in the
1: forest, right? Exactly, because animals they live in this in this state of just sensing. You know, they're there with their senses, mm-hmm. and that's how they perceive the world. And it's interesting because we we were given five senses, yet a lot of us perceive or prefer to perceive our world with our mind and our mind is, is not a sense. Okay. It is more so the, the center where a lot of information congregates that comes from our senses, but we have, it's almost like we've, and this is particularly true in the West. We have placed too much attention on the mind and what we can do with it and have lost touch with the rest that we're made up of. And that's our, our body. And we have our five senses. Um, and when we're, when we're focusing on the sensations and I'm not saying that we should stop thinking, but as everything in life, it's about a healthy balance. Mm mm-hmm. And we currently have no healthy balance between our five senses and how we utilize the mind. So we need to, and this is really something that we can all do, we need to reestablish a balance between utilizing our five senses by just being with the sensations as they occur and the mind itself yeah so it's kind of like meditating at least how i've heard it described and how
0: i've i've tried meditating before i'm, I'm i know you're not supposed to say you're terrible at it but i ha- i'm terrible at it in that i i know that it'd be a really beneficial thing i'll do like three days where i'll meditate for 20 minutes every morning and then not do it again for a year mm-hmm. <laughs> and but it, that's it essentially it's not that you shut your brain down it's just that you stop cognitively judging every thought that comes into your mind and you
1: yeah absolutely and it's interesting that you're mentioning meditation because a lot of people have trouble getting started with it and honestly I don't blame them I -hmm. had a very hard time starting out with meditation it it took me a long time but now looking back I would actually just tell people meditation is not necessarily you sitting down and allocating 20 minutes so you can just sit there in silence and just try your best, whatever you can achieve at meditating. Mm-hmm. Meditation you can do during anything um, as you go about your daily life. Yeah, well, you know?
0: I, I know the places I meditate. I meditate surfing, and I meditate kitesurfing. surfing. It's kind of different, but surfing, you're a lot of times waiting for waves. Mm-hmm. And when you're just sitting on the ocean floating on your board like calm not a lot of people out you you know especially because you're kind of passively doing something like balancing on your board but your mind just kind of wanders and it gets free and then kite surfing you know there's some extreme elements to that but a lot of the time kite surfing you're just kind of cruising around Mm -hmm. and then you're, you're trying tricks intermittently but it's like the cruising around and like playing in the waves and that kind of stuff where you're Your body just kind of takes over once you get to a certain level of competence and your
1: mind just kind of goes free. Yeah. Um, It's really good that you're mentioning this because we need to realize meditation is not something that needs to be done in stillness as you're sitting somewhere motionless. Actually, a lot of people would benefit from meditation if they did it during an activity. And running is actually one of those activities where a lot of people meditate without even noticing. Hmm. You know, I've had, I used to be an avid runner and I would, I would talk to people in the community and they would often tell me, you know, one of the best things or my favorite thing about running is I can clear my head. That is meditation. Right. It doesn't have it meditation, even though for a lot of people it has a spiritual connotation. There doesn't have to be anything spiritual or religious about meditation. Mm-hmm. So you can approach it, you can try it without feeling like you're signing up to become part of a religious group or, or um, you're giving in to a particular spiritual inclination. Yeah.
0: It's unfortunate that words get such baggage attached to them and so many associations like, for example, like to go a different direction, the word retard. Like yeah. now this is like a hurtful word that people don't even want to say. They want to say the R word. But, you know, it was not when it was the term was coined. It's not hurtful. It's saying somebody that has retarded development. It's about as like politically correct a word mm-hmm. to describe somebody who's cognitively delayed, like cognitively delayed, as you can come up with. But now mm-hmm. the association with the word retard, which, you know, It shouldn't be a negative word, but there's so much baggage with that. It's almost, well, society is really, they're genuinely abandoning that as a label and coming up with a new label. Yeah. It's almost like meditation needs the same overhaul. And And
1: it has been receiving this. It's called mindfulness. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is, I've I've been meditating for just about 12 years and exploring consciousness as a concept um, for really that that period of time and it's been interesting for me in the last five years i've seen the word meditation less and less in publications and on posters and so forth but the word mindfulness and mindfulness uh, camps and mindfulness seminars popping up like mushrooms everywhere yeah and is exactly what you were describing you know someone determined or we determined that meditation had too much baggage. Mm -hmm. So let's just come up with another label and hopefully not that much negativity will attach itself to it.
0: Yeah, well, I think it inevitably will. Maybe not in the same way. Maybe it won't be associated with spiritualism, but some group or sect will become, will overly identify with (laughs) mindfulness and then they'll have to shed that word. And you know, come yeah.
1: up with a new one. Well, we're good at coming up with with words. <laughs> yeah, so. we are. Yeah. So it's <laughs> not something we have to worry about. <laughs> um, so is this this is the kind of thing you talk a lot about in your practice, uh mindfulness or mindfulness is certainly a component of it. Um absolutely. But the main focus is really about allowing people to see themselves as an emotional being and not to the point where their emotions are running their life, but where, where they actually choose what emotions they allow into their life and which emotions they really want to experience.
0: Yeah. And I I think all these concepts are like, they're very interesting and I imagine very helpful. To They'd be helpful, I'm sure, if I explored them and to, to most people. Um, I guess to, to me, they would exist like these tools, like talking about chakras and meridians, whether or not they're true, like whether or not they can be physically measured is almost inconsequential. If they're a useful tool for viewing your relationship with your mind and your consciousness and your body's relationship with your mind and consciousness. And I think like if you look at a lot of ancient religions they'll have like the god of anger mm-hmm. and whether or not we can actually say oh look we've used science to capture the god of anger mm-hmm. here is his name's Tom. Um, it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't actually exist because it's a real way to describe a force that exists within your consciousness. So people when they say some primitive society like I've been possessed by this god of anger well, yeah, it's like the the idea, this this concept of anger has taken over your mind and is is taken hold of you for a temporary period, or maybe for an elong, elongated period, and that's kind of like what the psychoanalysts found out in the I think it was the 1900s when they're exploring these ideas is that you know you'd be taken hold by jealousy or like what mm-hmm. other people would have called a god and possessed by one of these deities. And it's a useful tool to talk about it when they didn't understand you know these processes in the brain so to a layperson, it's just as helpful to say you know you've been taken over by jupiter the god of whatever as it is to say you know this you know symptom is manifesting itself and you know the you know what's that i forget that the dsm-5 would categorize you as this it's, as long yeah. as it's a helpful way to understand what's happening in your mind and to deal with these things and put them in the context of stories that you can work through and uh journey through I think that's a like if it's beneficial to people that's that's great and i i totally see how you know people dealing with internal demons would manifest in their physical health i guess like where i still am not convinced is the the mechanics and i don't think that's something we could like sort through over a conversation it would require um you know people with degrees in you know physics to talk about what's actually happening and that's something that i just didn't see when i looked at the research there wasn't it wasn't there wasn't a lot of openness to what's happening inside these devices so because there's not a lot of openness there's no room for somebody that's really educated to actually say i agree or no that's that's not what's happening that that's kind of my where my skepticism lies mm-hmm. whereas if you have something like an mri it's like the process is open and we can see how these results like more than one person agrees and understands how it works yeah absolutely. right so there's kind of like um you know just you know society has kind of structured itself to prevent a, a lone person from manipulating others into thinking that they've got the solution
1: um and you've just gotta do what they say and you'll you'll get better right mm-hmm. yeah that's i i completely agree and in that regard it will be very interesting and for yourself, and actually for for all of us, to see over the next five, 10, 20 years how this actually will evolve and develop, um, because at this point, it is still in what we could describe as its its infancy.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I do. I genuinely am not. Uh, I'm not attached to the idea of being right about uh, bioenergetics, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know very much about it. But I hope I'm wrong but what i would say if i'm if i'm kind of if i'm correct in my assessment that it is more randomized and this guy is not acting
1: in good faith then sorry oh just to clarify you're actually assuming that he is not acting in good faith without knowing anything about him
0: mm, i think
1: yeah i think that's my
0: i feel like it would be more openness would be required for me to believe that he's acting in good faith with the system.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah. It's interesting for me because when you mentioned we should question everything, and I I completely agreed with you, but then I also said we should question everything motivated from a place of curiosity and not so Mm. much fear or worry – However, if you jump to the conclusion that this person is acting out of bad faith,
0: well, I wouldn't then, say I totally jump to it. There's some evidence that I've reviewed that would lead me towards that, but it is I'm not I'm not conclusively saying it. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to stand behind that and okay. say this is absolute quackery and he's a fraud. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the evidence that I've seen certainly leads me to believe that. He's not acting in good faith, mm-hmm. but I'm not. You know, I'm not <laughs> stamping that and saying I, I endorse this fully. It's just that's just so far. That's my assumption, but I didn't I just want to. I didn't want to derail what you were saying, though.
1: No, i I didn't really want to take it any further. I just wanted to clarify that what motivates us in life is incredibly important Mm -hmm. and there's really when it comes down to it there's only two places from which our motivation that is the basis of, of all our actions in life would come from and that is either a place of love or a place of fear now when we act out of fear things can easily get derailed and we can be led down the wrong path. And that's why I said, for me, it's important that when we approach life from the perspective that we should question everything, then it should be from a place of curiosity. Because when you look at curiosity, it is, in other words, you having appreciation for life itself and you love to learn more about it. So yes. it becomes the motivation is love, in other words. Yeah. However, when it is fear or worry, that's when we start to look at life through a completely different lens. And one lens that can cause a lot of damage, maybe not immediately, but later down the track.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And just as an example, because you you mentioned Trump earlier. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I truly believe that he is in office is because he has perfected to inspire fear so that people are motivated from a place of fear to vote for someone like himself. Mm. I mean, if you actually look at the election data
0: of why Trump was elected, um, the same amount of people or I think actually less people voted for Trump than voted for who was the Republican running against Obama? Anyway, whoever, whoever that was. Um, and the people who the Democrats who came out to vote for Obama just didn't show up for Hillary. So Trump didn't actually win the election because less people voted for Trump than the Republican that was running behind him. It was just people just didn't show up to vote for Hillary. Mm-hmm. He didn't really win over any people. It was people just didn't show up because, in my opinion, because there was scandals with Hillary, and I think you know maybe they were inspired. With I don't I don't disagree with what you said as mm-hmm. far as what how he motivates people with fear. There was certainly a lot of information about Hillary being corrupt and a crook, and I mean I think a lot of it is true, as it's true for most politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was certainly filled the air. People I think were on the Democrat side were just kind of
1: overwhelmed with. Um, a lack of choice yeah right absolutely and um, i'm not saying that i would have I'm, I'm really glad that i wasn't that i don't didn't have to vote for any of those candidates because yeah, i'm not yeah. a citizen um because for me in, in politics and i'm originally from germany so i know a little bit about how people have been utilizing fear and inducing fear in, in in the public Mm -hmm. to use that as their primary motivator to get their vote. And that is something that we're really seeing in a lot of political systems these days. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it doesn't even have to be people voting for Trump. It's generally fear as a motivator is something once you become aware of it, you will see it in a lot of places, For sure. Because it's so powerful.
0: I agree. I, I, I like what you said about fear and love being primary motivators. What I would say, though, is we are in a world of limited resources. And this is a topic I talked a lot about in my last podcast. There's a lot of ideals like infinite curiosity that we can't act out because of limited resources. I would like to do more research in bioenergetics, but because I've generally not been Impressed with the data that I've seen, I'm probably, I've decided basically I'm not going to pursue it farther. You know, it's not that I've come to a conclusive thing, it's just that there's too many other things that are taking up my time to invest further. And I mean, in your case, you've made a quite a huge commitment to bioenergetics in terms of practicing it, you're, you know, set up your clinic, all this stuff. So, I I think there does need to be some fear added in there but only because we have limited resources and if somebody that's seeing you they're spending their limited resource of money, their limited resource of time, especially if they're they're very unwell, they they have to have the ability to critically assess these choices because they can't be infinitely curious about an infinite number of healing methodologies or else run out of resources Mm -hmm. right there's just not enough time and not enough um really really it comes down to time because you can always make more money if you have more time
1: that's a very good point the only but that i would have is that i i personally very firmly believe that fear needs to have no place in our handling of life and what you said about fear utilizing fear to ensure that you i might have have
0: misspoke about fear i don't know exactly the emotion i'm talking about but
1: but even if it was a negative emotion Mm -hmm. to that would allow a person to limit their skepticism their skepticism their involvement in something yeah it doesn't have to come from a place of negativity it should then just come from a place of self-respect that you know how much you value your own time and you know yourself best. So you know that bioenergetics in your case, for instance, is not something you want to pursue because you already know there is other topics that interest you more. Mm-hmm. So this would then not stem from a place of negativity. It would more so, or at least it should come from a place of self-respect and having enough love for yourself that you honor your time and your energy so much that you would say, okay, bioenergetics is not my field. Let's move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. So basically what I'm trying to say is, and this applies to our world more than ever, fear does not need to have any place in our lives if you act from a place of love, from a place of positivity in everything that you do and pursue, you will not go wrong. And I find it is more important than ever that we really start acting and living in this way Mm -hmm. because it can truly change a lot of the things that we're currently um, dealing with in this world
0: yeah i think that's a really good message um i imagine it's well received by people that are in a really rough spot where they've dealt with a lot of fear and anxiety um in their you know journey towards healing or or potentially not healing and just coping with what they have yeah um i don't think we're gonna like make it any farther talking about the technical aspects of of bioenergetics um i'd be I wanna go into some stories about like anecdotes of your your patients like we kind of talked about before. Um the last thing I am I am very curious though to like how would if you decided to move away from bioregenetics, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much other like when I hear you talk about um these ideas of regulating emotions and feeding back into the body, so much of this is uh it seems like a very full practice and it seems like a very interesting ideology to me something that i would um like to hear more about uh, to you know say it briefly let's say like this that, that doesn't necessarily have to be attached to bioenergetics like this could just be talking about energy and fields and the meridians could just be a tool for explaining you know your thoughts on you know your healing journey and how somebody else could embark on a
1: similar path if we took out bioenergetics i mm-hmm. mean Um, certainly however when it comes to emotional issues and emotional trauma um, from my personal experience with my clients I have come to realize again and again that a lot of people are aware that something is going on emotionally and that there is some aspect of trauma but they don't always know what that is so then the scan can come in very handy because it can reveal those emotions, those beliefs that are currently out of balance or causing an imbalance and also the trauma theme that might be present in a person. And because the people I've, I've had just under 150 clients this past year that I've been working with. Wow. And, what i can tell from from those from that number is that almost everyone i would probably say about 90% of the people that looked at what are the emotions what are the the trauma themes that are showing up for them they were able to identify in identi- the bioenergetic scan in the bioenergetic scan exactly we're able to identify with with those themes for instance and not only identify with them but also then see that as the underlying factor for them.
0: And then, but like each session you would do a new scan and then a new type of emotional difficulty would come up for those people and they would work through those issues.
1: Yeah, sometimes, but there is also cases where we would do a follow-up scan or even two follow-up scans Mm -hmm. and the same issue would still uh, prevail. Mm -hmm. That would then indicate that um, this is... Obviously a uh, a longer standing issue that requires more time, more patience, and more more love, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean I I see again it comes down to that, like that's it could be that the tool is very accurate and picking up on that need to do more work, or it could just be that, you know, everybody has work to do on all aspects of their personality. And, you know, having that, um, because we, we talked you know, during my actual session about the power of the placebo effect, and a lot mm-hmm. of people will discount something, saying, oh, that's just a placebo. Whereas if somebody is 100% convinced that you know this scan is accurately reading their, um, their emotional traumas, whether or not it does or it doesn't, even if it does or it doesn't, if they are absolutely convinced it does, and as the practitioner, you're absolutely convinced that it does, that creates the conditions for a very powerful placebo effect um which if it works the placebo effect would amplify the treatment and if it doesn't work the placebo effect would act alone to help the person feel or actually p- potentially realistically actually work through these issues which then could manifest themselves in a physical change in their body or their symptoms um mm-hmm. whether it's real or not um
1: so yeah i i respect your your skepticism mm-hmm. um I have to admit, it's certainly to the point where, at times, it's a little hard for me to understand how there could be so much skepticism in this work. <laughs> yeah. um, and I almost wish that you could be, you could be given the opportunity to talk to those hundred plus people yeah. that have been scanning. I can see it being difficult in your position because here I am,
0: you know, having done one treatment when I'm fairly healthy. And But I will say, um, you, one of the, you treated a couple parts of my body and you treated my toe like that. I just bent in jiu-jitsu, pretty mm-hmm. minor injury,
1: but feeling better, feeling pretty good. Nice. Toes feeling good. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but what um, I wanted to say is um, some of the clients that I deal with, they have conditions... Where emotional experiences, Mm -hmm. such as uh, abuse in various forms that I'm not going to go into any further, but they have been experiencing things that are very significant and have had a very traumatic effect on them across the whole realm of of their being for sure not just physical when you then see the scan results and what comes up for that individual especially in terms of what are the emotions what are the trauma themes what are the belief systems and then you know i sit here and you say that there is a very good chance and you it almost seems you believe that it is more so randomly selected those, I those items. That, I
0: suspect it, yeah.
1: It's very hard to to just sit here and, and take that in <laughs> yeah, because I, see I sure. have seen with my eyes and I have experienced it again and again how accurate this scan is.
0: Well, one thing I'll say, and if it hasn't come through to the audience, is like I very much believe you are an authentic practitioner. Mm-hmm. you know i don't believe for a second that you are trying to manipulate anybody um and i i know i we, I, we talked about that at the session but i don't think i've actually said yeah. it on the podcast yeah I, um, I
1: really appreciate that um
0: that much was definitely clear to me that you're a very authentic person um but i i yeah and i'll, I'll leave it at that i think mm-hmm. we're all susceptible to um to influences but uh and I, again i'm i'm not saying i believe it to be false it's just like the evidence that I've seen—it's my
2: suspicion—and
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, as I said before, I, I really respect that. And I, and I, I came here because I love talking with people that, not necessarily share the the same like mindedness as me, mm-hmm. because that's really what life is about. You know, it's about exploring the entire spectrum, so you you can find your balance. Yeah. And it's, it's what I practice is something that can be incredibly valuable to every human being out there, whether they're trying to heal from something or just trying to take their well-being to the next level. Yeah. But I honor everyone's individuality Mm-hmm. and people's skepticism. But if you feel that there is a gentle pull or a strong pull or some form of curiosity, why don't you give it a try? It doesn't even have to be at my practice, but why yeah. don't you just give it a try to see life from the perspective as of us being energy and how much we can actually positively influence ourselves when we become aware of of this energy that, permeates us, permeates everything. And when we learn how we can actually manipulate it and utilize it for our advantage.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd actually be really interested to hear some stories of people, like with names removed, or even Mm -hmm. yourself, how that healing process has looked over um, I'm not sure, is it typically a couple months, couple years, like the treatment duration?
1: Yeah, so it, it really differs from person to person. And the interesting thing is, once people start working on themselves on an emotional level and release emotional trauma, some of the changes can occur very quickly. Mm-hmm. For others, depending on the condition and how long they've had the condition, it might be a matter of anywhere from weeks to months to maybe a year or a year and a half um yeah
0: Oh, yeah actually uh, one thing i was thinking of is like do you have a specific uh, what is there a specific inflection point or turning point either in your healing process or when you were starting to administer this where you were like okay this is the real deal or seeing some friends before you were getting receiving the treatment yourself what What was the point where you're like i'm in
1: i'm 100 mm-hmm. percent in on bioenergetics yeah Two inflection points. Okay. First one, once I came to realize that I am a being of energy and this energy I'm made of and it it runs through me and it allows every function in the body to take place, Mm -hmm. that was a huge game changer. So so what prompted that? When I saw my first scan. Okay. When I received the treatment and I actually felt the energy traveling through me and I, I was able to to clear some of those meridians there were mm. a couple of blockages when I cleared those blockages how my movements became lighter I became lighter as a person and I, I could quite literally feel how something was moving through me that wasn't my blood that wasn't my lymph fluid mm-hmm. and that wasn't just random muscle contractions, which may have, you know, made me perceive that something was flowing through so me. An intense personal experience. Subtle. Subtle. Yeah. Okay. Uh, intense when it comes to energy work. If you're very, if if you're very sensitive towards the work, then some of the experiences can be intense. But it is more subtle. But when I say subtle, it does not imply that it is barely noticeable. But it's more so a subtleness that is comfortable, even though you clearly perceive it as it is happening. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that that happened to me personally. Then when I started the, the course and I started playing around with the treatment, I would I would do it on myself. Of course, I would do it on my partner, um, then a couple of friends and then our neighbors and I was scanning one of our neighbors and he had told me previously that he'd been battling with thyroid issues for o- over 30 years mm-hmm. and he had always been on medication and it was just always underperforming. So he would always have to, to supplement to ensure that it would, it would function well enough. So I said, well, do you want to give it a try? I'll scan you and we'll just see what comes up. And we moved through the scan results and we came to the the mind-body section where we assess the emotional and, and trauma themes. And right around the thyroid, the trauma themes of swallow, not being able to swallow and not being able to speak were coming up. Okay. as as the, the the highest priority. So it was it was pretty clear that this is where we wanted to focus on. Obviously when when I see clients, I don't know anything about their story re- really. Mm-hmm. So during the scan the first scan, thing you do is the scan. Exactly. Yeah. So then I would always encourage my clients to share if they're willing to share if it's not too personal for them to share it. And I just remember him looking at it and I explaining to him those two trauma themes that were coming up and that they were affecting the thyroid. And I remember he leaned back in his chair and he took a, he sighed. And then he said to me, I know exactly why this is coming up for me. And then I said, would you be willing to share it? And he said, yeah, of course. When I was a kid, as I was growing up, especially as a preteen, my dad was a raging alcoholic mm. and he would on a regular basis choke me. And I, up to this day, I can still feel particularly his thumbs resting and the pressure of his thumbs right over my thyroid. So he mm. would strangle him on a regular basis. Now that's a, a pretty horrific experience for sure. for, for a yeah. preteen. And that's when I was sold hmm. when i thought to myself you know the whole system is is pretty cool but this in particular i want to focus on the emotional side and then i started utilizing the emotional results on myself and i started noticing how i was able to clear things and and things which come back into my into my awareness into my memory that i had probably very successfully suppressed for a long time in my life. Mm-hmm. And from then on, I knew that my focal point for my practice was going to be more so on the emotional side. I I was recently at, uh, at, at a conference in Tampa, energy medicine conference, and there were practitioners that also use the NES system. Mm-hmm. So I got to chat with a lot of them, and I noticed that a lot of them... Don't pay that much attention to the non-physical side of the scan. Okay. So that was really interesting. This is really a way you've developed. Exactly. So, and I wasn't aware of that, but after the conference, I started to realize, wow, I'm really going in a in a different direction. Hmm. And for a, a brief moment, I. You know the, the question popped up because I I do like to I like to question things too. So I mm-hmm. I I said you know it it's fair enough for me to go. Am I going th- down the right path? Yeah. But then I came to the realization because of the experiences, the very positive experiences and positive feedback that I had been receiving um, from all my clients with that focus on the emotional side. That. I decided for myself there and then that I wanted to continue down this path. And this is where I see my practice continuing to go. But Mm -hmm. I'm obviously going to expand further my knowledge and the area of expertise. Because when it comes to the non-physical, there's more that comes into play than just our emotions, um, our thinking patterns, the trauma that we may have experienced, and the beliefs that we hold. Um, you mentioned earlier something about finding meaning in life, purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, that is also something that the scan takes into consideration. So this is another element that I want to be focusing on more because just as you said it earlier, having meaning in life w- will result in happiness, but then happiness is no longer the, the one goal that everyone should chase after it is more so just a, a positive byproduct of when you live your life in a very meaningful way
0: yeah and it's it was, one of the reasons i think that <clears throat> I, i'm not sure if this is correct it's kind of just my own idea but if you look at the suicide rate in north america and europe it's it's like overwhelming right and then you look at developed countries like look at the horrific conditions like we have we have some bad things happening here right like you know people getting molested and alcoholic parents and trauma and like you know the west has its fair share of terrible parents but in countries like africa middle east there's i'm sure just as much as that but then plus crushing poverty and desperation but i wonder if the desperation and you you need to go to work every day to feed your family if that because you don't have suicide rates in in countries like that like we do here if that desperation is actually giving people some meaning Mm -hmm. whereas here because it's like you go to your job that you hate to come home and zone out and if you didn't go to work you'd be supported by welfare and employment so it's you don't even really have to go to work. You just go to work so you can get more stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these social programs to catch people if, and I'm not advocating for removing social programs. I actually, you know, I'm I'm a conservative thinker, but I do think there's a a place for social support network um, for in a functioning, you know, country, but that, I think it could be a problem psychologically for people is because it removes meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and people that just see themselves, they don't see a place for themselves in society because they're not needed. Whereas in a society, in a family where there's 10 kids all working the farm and this buddy knows like if he leaves the farm, like his seven brothers are going to have to do a lot more work. Like yeah. they got to pick up his slack. He's working his ass off to feed, put food on the table. So it's a different perspective for a 16 year old to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah. Anyway, it kind of goes to what you're talking about of, you know, finding meaning and in your term, your terms for your for your clients, helping them find that meaning. I think that would be really valuable.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, I just want to expand a little on what you said. Have you heard of blue zones? No. Those are areas around the world where people live way beyond a hundred years. Okay. And scientists have been studying. Those populations and those areas for several decades, because you know it's quite unusual that there is a few spots on this planet where people live a lot longer, significantly longer than the rest of the population, the world population. And what they determined through their research was that there is a few factors. You know, diet is one, um, exercise is one, but the most important one is exactly what you said meaning having purpose mm. because it becomes a motivator and going back to what i said earlier it's important that we're motivated from a place of love rather than fear purpose you know when you look at what what is purpose it is contributing something to the greater good so you're doing something out of love it becomes your life can become an act of love you might be serving people as a doctor for instance or even if with your example with the farmer you're you're contributing to society you know you're allowing people so food so they can nurture themselves so those are all then coming from a place of love and those That is all purpose, something that truly drives people. Mm -hmm. And in Japan, it's called ikigai, which is a word that describes a purpose that acts for the greater good of the community or the country as a whole. But at the same time, it also acts as a stimulant for the individual to live A life and live up to their full potential so then this purpose if it's if it comes from a from honesty and from a genuine place in a person it becomes a win-win situation for the individual because they can find happiness through living a purpose purposeful life and it's a win for the community or you know in japan for instance the country as a whole because they're contributing to the greater good, mm-hmm. all from a place of love. Yeah, there's
0: this interesting, really interesting book called Tribe that talks a lot about this, specifically this meaning related to being part of a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about in in England in the in the forties during the worst of because you know the British bombed German civilians and the Germans yeah. bombed British civilians. There's this big campaign where they were just bombing london and killing civilians and you know rubble everywhere it was a horrible place to live but what's interesting is that suicide rates in london which were you know climbing dropped to basically zero mental institutions who had people had been institutionalized for schizophrenia and all these mental they they basically opened their doors because people stopped displaying symptoms and they were reintegrated into society because people had all had this shared purpose, like a building would come down and people would move the rubble and remove bodies. And then these people that were displaced in the next building, they would bring them into their home and it was a desperate way of living, but people all had meaning. People Mm -hmm. were not like, it's, it's irrefutable that the suicide rates, it's unbelievable how much it just dropped because of that, that shared community and shared purpose. Um, But, uh, we're uh, we're almost at two hours here, but what I wanted to give you is an, an opportunity to talk about one or a couple anecdotes from your practice of where you've seen, um, you've followed through somebody through that healing journey and some of the interesting parts that are unique to your system and then and not even just the NES system, but as well as your practice, which focuses specifically on emotional healing and meaning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would actually like to share one particular story that really... It, it blew my mind um, as well as my client's mind. Okay. And it, it shows how if you're ready to heal, it no longer becomes a question of whether it's possible or not, but it really just then becomes a question of when it will occur. And okay. it's, it's interesting, you know, for some people they might go, of course everyone is ready to heal. But with chronic conditions and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, when you've been suffering from something for a very long time, you start to identify with this. So it actually becomes part of who you are. And this is, this is something um, that they're currently doing some research studies on where they are um, following people through their their chronic or, or through their healing stages while they try to heal from chronic conditions. And what they've been noticing is that people identify with those conditions sometimes to the point where the condition actually becomes part of who they are. And they become so adjusted and used to the fact that people will always help them and always ask them oh how are you doing today Mm. is there something i can do for you they become so familiarized with this right that when it comes to the point are you ready to heal subconsciously they're interestingly not ready to heal because they fear that they would be losing a part of who they are as well as all of the support. Yeah.
0: I've actually heard the same thing, and it was specifically in this case applied to children who grew up sick.
1: Oh, it's interesting. That's how their psyche yeah. has been formed. Of course, when you have nothing to compare it to, that would be that would be pretty um Yeah. Wow. Um so what I'm trying to get at is I had a client, she was very ready to heal. Okay. And she didn't actually identify with the condition can you say what the condition is within yeah. The yeah so over the course of i think just under a year you know those floaters that you sometimes have in the eye mm-hmm. she had one that was white okay and it grew so large that it made her go blind on her left eye and when she came to see me, she actually saw me for something else. Um, so she didn't tell me that she was experiencing blindness on her left eye and had been for, for months. Mm-hmm. And I provided her with the treatment based on the findings of the scan. And it was interesting for me just to note that some of the points that were coming up involved the head, um, not the not the eye itself, but certainly areas around the head where I thought – well, it's interesting that the scan is bringing this up um, because it has nothing to do with the condition that she was seeing me for. Mm -hmm. A week later, after the treatment, she emails me and she goes, there is something I need to tell you. When I came in, I didn't tell you that I was actually blind on my left eye. And after the treatment, I noticed within the first 24 hours, this thing this white floater started to decrease in size. And then every day it got smaller. And on day seven, exactly on day seven, when she emailed me, it was gone. Hmm. That was six to eight months ago. And she still comes to see me. Okay, um, So I sometimes check in and I ask her, how's your eye? And she said, it never returned. So the point of the story is, Just to make people aware that when you're truly ready to heal, it doesn't matter so much what your condition is, but you can actually heal faster than you might think. Because the body's plasticity, its ability to regenerate tissue and just return to a state of balance, which quite honestly everything strives towards in nature is a state of balance Mm -hmm. that is so powerful that we're actually more capable of healing than we're often believed by by society and especially here in the west when you know there are certain chronic conditions rheumatoid arthritis for instance um where people are repetitively being told you know the the cartilage it will never grow back or the um, the restructuring or misalignments of the bones for instance it will never go back to a state where you can fully function right yeah these are limiting beliefs that we're being fed so, of course, when we start from this point, from this place where we, where we buy into it, then we can only expect very little healing to occur yeah. because we have now set our own boundaries.
0: And I guess that would be one of the fundamental differences between somebody coming to see you as a practitioner compared to the medical system where the medical system is looking to diagnose and place it in a box and prescribe, mm-hmm. you know, certain treatments whereas you your your assumption is that it can be healed. Yeah, and we just have to deal with the underlying issues that's preventing your body from healing itself and we get rid of those and your body will heal itself. So it's exactly. more your methodology is more about removing obstacles to
1: healing rather than imposing a healing on the body. Exactly. Because the healing itself it can really only occur from within. There isn't really someone we can go to and they will heal us. They might stimulate and animate healing to occur within us. That might be their intuitive power. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the healing occurs from within us. And it makes a lot of sense because if there is something that's out of balance, something wrong with our body, why would it come from an external source to actually reestablish balance in the body and our body has such an innate intelligence when we think about it all the functions and all the tasks that it is performing day after day minute after minute moment after moment and then we come along and we go no we know better how to how to fix this (laughs) yeah i
0: actually i had a freaky conversation one day uh i was up uh at this this kite surfing lake um, with a few of my friends, one of which is an anesthesiologist, and ah, what did I th- what did I ask him? It's like we're talking about putting people under, and he was talking. I kind of asked him about is it sleep? Like, are you putting somebody to sleep? How do you decide? And he's like, oh, it's not sleep. Being unconscious and being asleep are different. So if you that's like people who drink and they think like, oh, I just need eight or nine beers and i fall asleep it's Mm -hmm. like that's not falling asleep you're actually going unconscious and then maybe you go into sleep at some point in the night but just because your eyes close it's not the same there's different states of consciousness aside from just awareness and like self right so he's like we when we put somebody under, under anesthesia it's not sleep and it's important to remember that and i'm like well then what is it and he's like well we don't actually know because we don't even know what consciousness is Mm -hmm. so to try to describe what this other form of consciousness is that is not sleep and not what we're regular experiences like it was like to know and so it's like basically all they're doing like what he's done they just know from experience like if we give this person who's x amount fat x amount muscle x amount age this amount of drug they don't seem to feel when we cut them with knives, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. they, at least, and not even that they don't feel it. They don't talk about it after we do it. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to remember it or they weren't feeling it. Like it's, it's remarkable how little we know about as simple as simple as something as simple as anesthesia. So yeah. I, I mean, in that regard, I'd certainly agree with you. Yeah. 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 We don't know a lot about what's going on, but we, we have some, you know, obtuse ways we can like, um, something my my girlfriend says about uh like not my anyway i've heard this before about orthopedic surgeons that it takes a special kind of human being to take a hammer and chisel to the human body Mm -hmm. you know and those those treatments work um often um but yeah to think about a human being has to take like carpentry tools and yeah bang and smash away at a human body um and then also though, placebo surgeries are a thing. Have you heard about yeah, those? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They they all like tell people that they'll do a surgery. like uh, they, they, they stopped doing some types of knee surgeries because they did the surgery to mm-hmm. some people, and other people they just cut them, like put them under anesthesia, cut them, sewed them back up, and told them they did surgery, and the results were the same. So yeah. they had all this like scientific reason why this knee surgery was working, but it actually turned out no, it's it was just the fact that people believed that they went under surgery and the fact that surgery is expensive, both in terms of cost and their time and their healing, it just activated whatever it was in their mind that forced that healing to happen or enabled that healing to happen in their yeah. own body. So, yeah, I'm certainly not uh, like I'm a believer in all in a lot of these things that you're talking about, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, know. we we need to. We need to start trusting our our own abilities more. Mm hmm. Because we are so much more powerful than we think. Yeah. And sometimes, in order for us to realize how powerful we actually are, we also need to get out of our head and more into our body. And just to reestablish that balance so we can use the mind, because our mind is an ex- extremely powerful tool, but it also needs a break. You know, and for a lot of us, our mind is constantly on. But we need to give it a break and we can do that by, you know, at times just be with the sensations Mm -hmm. so we can reestablish a healthy balance. And when we give the mind a break and then we switch it back on and we actually start utilizing it, people will probably notice that all of a sudden they can use their mind in even more powerful ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, l- I like that. And I also, I mean, to bring it back to what we are talking about at the beginning, that's one of the things I respect. Well, I respect that you're coming on and talking critically about your, or allowing your practice to be criticized, especially mm-hmm. when you've had so much personal meaning derived from it in terms of your own healing and healing others. Respect that a lot. And I respect that you acknowledge the value of Western medicine. And I think- Yeah, absolutely. You know, these types of alternative treatments can work synergistically. Um with western medicine and the fact like one thing that's interesting to me um is that if you get a prescription for your dog and for medication for your dog and you get a prescription for yourself people and statistically are more likely to fill and accurately dispense the medication to their dog than they are to themselves interesting yeah so even if this you know effect this person has has that you know on from your treatment has just the the inner dialogue changes to mm-hmm. take care of themselves and they just start taking the medication that's given. That's, you know, the doctors are saying, Hey, listen, dummy, yeah. take one of these pills a day. And people don't, people mm-hmm. just don't take it. They, they, a lot of people don't fill the prescription people who fill the prescription, they don't take it. Um, so even if it just makes people take the pills they're given, like that's a huge benefit to a lot of people. That's a, it's a major problem. One of my friends is a, Uh, the president of a biotech company and what they're working on is uh, a system for dispensing pills to people. So you get your prescription, you put it in there and it dispenses them and it's actually going to be free to clients. And you know, who's paying for it, the insurance companies and the medical companies, because they just don't have the data. They need to know who's actually taking the pills okay because their their pills are being people are saying they're ineffective but it's like well you're not taking them yeah <laughs> so this thing that's forcing people to kind of constantly reminding them saying hey you missed your dose um that's the big benefit of it to the the insurance companies that pharmaceutical companies is there they want this machine so it's not actually going to be um on the backs of the the users of mm-hmm. it because uh, the pharmaceutical companies want to know who's taking their medicine interesting yeah because yeah, people just don't um so anyway i i really like that that A bit of the synergistic approach and i think you you know you alluded to that at the beginning of our session too so yeah
1: absolutely i I think it's important that we just all come together and and work together Mm -hmm. there is there's so many alternative healing modalities out there and we we can only learn from them by asking questions about it you know approach it from a place of curiosity and then see how or if we can integrate it with, with a modality that's already well-established. And yeah. by doing so, as you said, synergistically, even allow things to spiral upwards and become even more powerful, more helpful. Um, that's really all we should be striving towards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great place to leave it unless you have something else.
1: No, I think that's it's it's a beautiful wrap up, and I really appreciate the time here. And as I said before, I really respect where you're coming from, and it's been a great experience for me too to to simply hear your side coming from a camp that I'm not that often exposed to, mm-hmm. because obviously when you are operating at a certain wavelength. There is a tendency that you attract people that are riding the same wave or a very similar sure. wave. So this yeah. has been this has been a really great experience. So thank you so much.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate your time and your your openness. Um, so if people want to look you up, it's just uh, a e o n dot health. Yeah, um, they exactly. Can get it, contact you through your website. Exactly. Um, if people are not in Victoria, um, would you recommend they get in touch with you or just search out a local practitioner?
1: Yeah, they can, they can certainly reach out to me via my website. Um, just send me an email and then I can refer them to someone who is uh, practicing bioenergetics in their area. Um, that would probably be the easiest way to go about it so they don't have to go through all of the Google research potentially. Okay, great. Thanks so
0: much for coming on and I'll put a link to all that in the, in the description.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: All right, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between Maximilian and I. I really appreciated the opportunity to discuss alternative healing with an open-minded practitioner. If you liked the episode or have any comments on it, please hit me up on Twitter at Contra underscore podcast or email ContraPodcast at gmail.com.